Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning. It's Brad Perlin, your host for Vermont Viewpoint here on Monday. Thank you for the being listeners this morning. We can't do radio without you. My uh, producer through the glass, Greg Titus, he puts up a finger for one minute. Unfortunately, it's a nice finger, and he's not uh, doing any editorial comments about Monday and the how the world is. Uh, so thank you, Greg, for that. Uh, we have a great show today. Um, I'm excited. My first guest uh, will be... Uh, the, we'll talk a lot about um, business and uh, uh, the Chamber of Commerce. It's Megan Sullivan joining me. And uh, she's a Waterbury girl, so we're going to wander around Waterbury a little bit, if you can stand that. I hope you can. Uh, my second guest at 10, uh, Greg Overacker, is the author of a new book that's just out called The Hunt for Brianna Maitland. And if you uh, are familiar with the story, Brianna disappeared mysteriously uh, up in Montgomery after getting off a shift at work, uh, 17-year-old girl. And uh, it's been a long saga, and uh, Greg has written this fascinating book. He pushed me to read it before uh, today, which I did finish it yesterday, and uh, it's quite remarkable and quite compelling, and... Uh, uh, we uh, look forward to talking. I look forward to talking with Greg. Uh, but first, I want to welcome Megan Sullivan to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. Um, you're no stranger to WDEV, um, but the first time that you and I have, have talked. That's right. I grew up, uh, especially during the winter months with WDEV on, waiting for that announcement of a snow day. Yeah, which every every kid, <laughs> and now they even have an app that my daughter looks at and goes, uh, ninety six percent chance of oh, snow yeah. day. Or, yeah, my son looks at that, and we get the text message and the phone call and the email. But uh, back when I was growing up here, it was WDEV that would uh, inform us all if we got to sleep in and play outside all day. Yep. Uh, so you were you were more up on uh, Route one hundred towards Waterbury Center, but uh, you. You told me off air that you worked at the pool, you worked at some places in town, so you, you knew Waterbury pretty well. I did know Waterbury really well. I, I uh, spent summers at the pool growing up and then worked there, worked at a restaurant that used to be down by the Waterbury-Duxbury line called The Feed Bag, um, and had lots of friends in town, so would spend uh, summers and, and after-school times just um, hanging out and enjoying everything the town had to offer. Yeah, I've mentioned to listeners uh, over the last year that my grandparents were here in Waterbury. Uh, my grandfather was state psychiatrist from the 20s to the uh, uh, fifth, well, 60s, early 60s, I guess. And so a long uh, haul at at the Waterbury State Hospital. And my mother and uncle were both uh, Waterbury High School graduates and my mother a cheerleader in the 
funny thing I remember is she would go, uh, strawberry, blueberry, raspberry pie, rah, rah, rah for waterberry high. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you were, you were Harwood Union by that time, right? <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was at Harwood. I don't remember cheers that we had specific. I'll save you all my singing voice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If, if I sang, uh, that Greg would take us off the air and go to some sort of a, a, a news format of a different nature. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have been with the chamber for about four years, but before that um, you did some uh, political work uh, with with uh, then Representative Welch. Is that correct? Yeah, I worked for um, yeah then Congressman, now Congressman, Senator yeah. uh, Welch. Um, in his district district office as his business liaison for about um, seven years, um, and it was a pretty incredible time to to be there and um, to be doing that work for Vermonters. Um, and I spent a few years after that with the state of Vermont, um, running the Vermont Economic Progress Council. Um, I was there for a lot of COVID, working on the business recovery grant program. Um, and then came over to the chamber and have been um, running the advocacy program there as the VP of Government Affairs. And when working for now Senator Welch, uh, what what was sort of the the highlights of what you felt like you were able to achieve uh, during that tenure? You know, I think the role of the district staff is to really make that connection between um, the congressperson or the senator um, and what's happening in Vermont and really be that line so that, that they're informed in their work in Washington as to what's happening on the ground here and that the folks here are informed as to what's going on in Washington. Um, you know, so we, when I was there, we went through a government shutdown, which is, you know, something that we're facing again now and, and understanding, I think, the hardship that that really caused um, for everyday Vermonters um, is important. And I would love for our current um, congressional leadership um, to understand that and remember that, how hard it is on people when, when the government shutdown happens and, and what that means for programs that, that especially our most vulnerable citizens rely on. Yeah, for sure. And and we'll talk a little bit later in the show about COVID, too. You've got government shutdowns and then you have a pandemic. So it's there's all these things that happen that are really devastating to to people's lives, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've seen um, now with the flooding as well, that as people really were starting to come out and recover financially for, you know, our, our great businesses, um, those that got flooded, you know, they don't have the capacity to take on more debt. So whereas after Irene, uh, there was a lot of uptake on the SBA loan program, uh, it was harder this time because people just can't take on more debt after um, that that long struggle with COVID and, and doing what was asked of them to shut down um, to protect their employees and their community. Um so it's it's tough, um, and we're going to see some of those businesses really start to struggle. Um, and again, we're seeing the groundswell from the community, though. I think that's what makes Vermont so special is that people um, don't close their doors and turn on their TVs. They open their doors to their community um, and try and, and raise everybody up um, because it's such a huge part of who we are. 
It is a, a huge part. And I had interviewed the owners of the Cambridge market who were, had bought it two weeks prior mm. to the flood. And all of a sudden they're, you know, with resources from their other businesses, they, they maxed out and all of a sudden they've got a foot of water in their, in their store. And I recently read, um, that they, the community has been so generous with them supporting them as a business that they're actually going to expand the deli and, and, and keep going forward which is remarkable. That is remarkable. I mean, I think it's it's such a testament to how integrated our businesses are into the fabric of, of Vermont. Um, they're a place where people gather. They're a place where, um, you know, people are able to go and get jobs, and, and it's not just a, a, you know, nine to five. They're there because they're passionate about what they do, and we attract businesses to this state and grow homegrown businesses to the state that really have important missions um, and I'm a, a daughter of two Waterbury business owners, um, and so I've got, you know, growing up firsthand experience of what it's like to um, have a business and to, to try and grow a business in the state and, and the passion that people have for providing jobs and doing great things. Um, so was that part of your uh, upbringing, the, the business aspect was – the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Your your parents influence. My parents definitely influenced. Um, I think where I went. I uh, don't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. I've never been someone who's thought I'm going to go out and start a business. But I've been passionate about the work that businesses can do and the way that they can um, help our economy and help grow um, the value of our community and and reinvest. Um, so it's, you know, I've always, I think growing up was interested in politics and then it was the influence of my, my parents that brought that sort of politics and business together. We're talking this morning with Megan Sullivan. She's Vermont Chamber of Commerce Vice President of Government Affairs. She grew up in, here in the Waterbury area, so she knows, uh, the local gig, worked with, uh, Congressman Welch, now Senator Welch, and also, Vermont Economic Progress Council, VEPSI. Uh, what kind of things did you do with VEPSI? What does VEPSI do? VEPSI oversees Vermont's tax increment finance program. So that's uh, a program that allows communities um, that really come together and think about what's the trajectory we want over the next 20 years. What's the development that's going to need um, to get us to our goals, whether that's building more housing, um, investing in infrastructure that'll make it possible for businesses to to locate, um, and it allows them to use um, the future tax proceeds that'll come from these private developments to help pay back the bond on um, the private or the public infrastructure. Um, and so examples of where that's been really successful are places like Winooski that have really transformed in the last 20 years. St. Albans City, Hartford, um, it's been a, it's been a really great catalyst for development in Vermont, um, that's done in a strategic and community based way. And then the other part of what VEPSI does is oversee the Vermont Employment Growth Incentive. So this is the state's, um, main program to help incentivize business growth in the state and that's to, um, incentivize capital investments and high quality job growth in the state. So that was the the gist, but COVID hit hard when I was there. So 
outside of that, I was um, working on, with the Agency of Commerce on their business grant recovery program. It definitely gave you a, a pathway coming into the chamber. You sort of knew that some of the tools well that um, incentivize local communities in such a positive way, like Winooski said, is quite remarkable now. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the the history I had between working for uh, Peter Welch and getting working on a real wide breadth of issues and then coming into the state um government and working really specifically on a few development programs and getting to know a lot more about our communities um, and really talk about what it is that gets business to grow here um, set me up well for the work that the chamber does. Um, the statewide chamber um, is the largest statewide business organization that we have, um, represents businesses from every industry, every corner of the state, um, every size. Um, and there's a lot of commonalities in both the opportunities that businesses face here um, as well as the struggles. Um, and so my ability to go into the state house and really take what those stories are and turn it into, you know, what is the what's the positive legislation that we can be shaping um, to support the the growth of those businesses um, and and allow them to be providing those great jobs um, in the state is is an honor. And the chamber definitely has a unique um, expertise. Your leadership of Betsy Bishop, who you, you have similar pathways, right? Mm-hmm. You you both worked in. Uh, political fields. I think she was maybe with Governor Douglas and maybe more. I don't even remember exactly. But Yeah, Betsy, I think, started uh, her career at the chamber um, doing what, what I'm doing now. And then she did work for Governor Douglas. Um, that's where she and I first met when I first started out of high school or out of college. Um, I was working for the agency and she was the commissioner. Um, and then, you know, as I've um, moved on in my career to new ways. We've stayed in touch, and so uh, this was an incredible opportunity to to work for her. She's an amazing leader in the state, um, and and knows so much about what's happening in our economy and where we've come from, and and the prospects of where we can go. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we talked off air about institutional memory, and mm-hmm. and Betsy's seen a lot, and she certainly is highly regarded uh, with her leadership. What was college for you? Did it have a correlation to what you're doing now when you grow up kind of thing or, or not? <laughs> yeah, I, I majored in political science and then minored in community and international development, which ended up being sort of that perfect mix of the theoretical and political science and then the implementation in community and international development. Um, great programs at the University of Vermont that, that set me up well for the, the career I've had. Nice. Uh, so we mentioned uh, almost the, the triple crown of, of hardship things, the, the flooding, COVID, uh, maybe a government shutdown coming. Um, what is uh, the – how does the chamber sort of get involved directly or indirectly in, in all of this? You know, I think for us, we hear stories about um, affordability. You've talked about a few things, but there's also been incredibly high interest rates. Inflation's been tough. Supply chain issues. The cost of health care is going up. Um, there's a lot that our businesses have had to um, 
try and work through. Um, and it's it's been hard. So we take those stories and we hear about the challenges around affordability, the 25,000 job openings in the state where, you know, people will have great jobs posted and they just can't get them filled. Um, and we try and bring that into our messaging in the state house of saying, you know, how do we make progress on really important issues without continuing to add a burden to um, the business community that's already really struggling um, and really trying to dive in deep to do that work. And then how do we meet some of our goals that we know we're going to need to meet in terms of um, growing our population, turning around the, dem- the demographic challenge that we're facing Um, And part of that, of course, as everyone's talking about, is how do we increase our housing supply to meet that opportunity? Um, So we really try and think holistically about, you know, what is it that we're trying to achieve? What are people struggling with now? So how can we shape legislation to help us get to there? It's, uh, it strikes me that, uh, a chamber with, with all of your members, you're the largest business organization in Vermont. You're, you're kind of like a union in some respects, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're representing, you know, and, and you get to be the voice that carries the power of the people, the power of the business kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's, um, a powerful, um, place to be and our, our members trust us to do that work and we spend a lot of time talking with them um, about what they're facing and talking with legislators about, you know, what are, what's coming down the road and how can we um, help shape that legislation to make sure that it can be a positive experience for everyone. And I'm reminded I've had, like I mentioned, uh, the Cambridge market. We we're setting up an interview and I had also been looking at interviews with other store owners and they're going, well, I've got to do payroll Monday morning at, um, you know, 7.30. And then I've, you know, I'm ordering stock for my store at, you know, from eight to nine or something. And, but I can probably, and then there's a baby in the background, right? So yeah, it's, they're, they're 24 seven being business people and, and you get to sort of hear it all and then carry it forward for them, right? Yeah, that's what we're um, certainly trying to do. We know how busy people are. They can't be sitting watching YouTube all day to see what it is that legislators have been talking about in committees. So, you know, that's what our team does. We're in the state house um, 24-7 during the uh, during the session. If I'm not there, then I'm, you know, I'm watching committee meetings. We have a team of interns um, who help with that. And then we've got an incredible team between Betsy, um, our VP of Hospitality um, and Tourism, Amy Spear, um, who was uh, hugely critical in an issue of liquor liability that came up last session, and Chris Garrigan, uh, who I think knows more about manufacturing than anyone I've ever met. So we have a team of experts, um, as well as a team of interns who are really making sure we have a uh, finger on the pulse is what's happening, and we can distill that down into our weekly newsletter that goes out so that businesses can read up and see not only what happened, but what happened and how does it affect me. Um, really get that, that insight and then can provide us information back. We're talking this morning with Megan Sullivan. She's Vermont Chamber of Commerce Vice President and Government Affairs. If you want to join our conversation, if you're a chamber member and uh, have some comments about uh, your own business world or the chamber in general, 802-244-1777. We welcome your calls. Um, 
I read recently, uh, going back to flooding, uh, Sterling Market, which is really a mainstay store in Johnson, uh, for a long time, the sort of the rumor mill was saying it's done and gone and there's no way that they're going to uh, bring it back. But recently news reports are Ernie Parmelo is saying, yep, we are going to bring it back. So, yeah, those, you know, grocery stores, your downtown businesses are just really critical to a community, especially in rural Vermont. Um and so how we can come back and, and do so in a resilient way is important. And I think we saw in the latest flooding, some of the work that was done during Irene really made a difference, um, that we didn't see flooding in places that we had seen it before, that things could have been worse. So hopefully this is another opportunity to say, how do we build resiliency? And I think in the work that, that I'm doing this summer um, and continuing to do this fall on Act 250, um, working on a few different study committees that are are working on um, how are we going to build housing, how do we want our designations programs to work, and how do we modernize Act 250. What we're looking at is how do we build for a resilient future as well. We can't um, just be saying let's rebuild exactly the same way we've done it before, but we need new areas, and when we're building, we need to do so in a way that is going to add to resiliency. We learn from history. We're talking with uh, Megan Sullivan. We've got another half hour with Megan, uh, fortunately. And I'm going to go right to the phone lines. We have Ram from Williamstown. Yeah, Welcome. that's where I'm up, but that's okay. Hey, listen, this is going back to that demographics bit and talking about how we have these jobs going, wanting for employees to come take them. And it seems to be a recurring theme nowadays that there are a lack of people to take jobs. There's uh, everybody, whether it's in government, private practice, everywhere. People seem to be looking for somebody to come take some jobs that they have open, ready to go. And all the answers to all of these uh, issues has always been up to date to bring in, how do we get more people to take all these jobs? And the conundrum I see being that if everybody's looking for jobs, and Vermont is not, you know, like some special little island that operates on its own rules. We're a little minnow in a huge ocean full of whales. And uh, if everybody's looking for jobs, we're not going to find the people to take these jobs. So what are the answers that would be available if, as I suspect is true, we're not going to find people to take these jobs? I'll leave that. I'll just listen. Thank you. All right. Thank you for the call. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's an important question, right? It's hard to to change that that demographic turn. We're not um, we're not having more babies in Vermont. You know, there's there's no magic wand to say, well, if everyone could just have four children, we'll we'll change that tide. So it does require us looking outside of our borders and saying, how do we make this a home for uh, Vermonters by choice? Um, and, you know, I think there are areas where they're doing a really good job of making that connection between the college system and the jobs that are, are in state and, and pushing um, that connection and allowing development of those industries. We actually have some our, – our um, college system brings in a lot of students from out of state. And so there's an opportunity to say how do we get those students who have come in here 
to now call Vermont home. And so again, it, it comes back to housing, but it also comes back to making those um, opportunities. Um, I think that, you know, there are places where, where we also know that there are people who are looking for opportunities. Our unemployment rate is one of the lowest in the nation at 1.8% is the last uh, update. We know that not all of our jobs require a college degree. I think even at this point, about 70% don't. Um, so when we're looking at how do we um, entice people to come to Vermont, there are opportunities to say, let's talk about the things that we've invested in, that we've done well, and highlight those, elevating our achievements to tell other people um what it is to live here and to, to be a Vermonter, um, the opportunity in the community that's here. So, you know, I know there are other places that are also struggling with this, um, but I think we're in a unique position if we decide to move on it um, to really um, make progress on, on facing that challenge of our demographics. It is interesting, uh, COVID uh, shut down the nation in so many ways, yet there was a time when there were so many out-of-state license plates in Vermont during COVID because people left the city, and then subsequently they seemed to start buying homes here, which a lot of Airbnb and second homes and stuff, and therefore the the prices went through the roof. So let's jump back, mm-hmm. Megan, to, to Act 250 and building affordable homes. If we want to attract younger demographics, we got to have a place for them to put a bed in, a TV and a living room and a kitchen and uh, all of that. Yeah, you know, I think Act 250 has done some great things for Vermont. You know, I think it's it, it gets a bad rap, um, and some of that deservedly. But, you know, it was put in place in a time in Vermont when, when towns and um, communities didn't have zoning. Um, and so there was this... Uh, fear that we would turn into just strip malls everywhere. So it was put in place. And what we've seen in the last um, 20 years, though, is is towns have developed zoning, that towns are now in a much better place to say, this is what we want for our community. Um, and Act 250 has become a barrier for um, the opportunity to do that, both financially and in terms of time um, and unpredictability of knowing what the outcome could be. Um, and where we've seen it hurt a lot is in what's been called the missing middle, and that's used two ways. Missing middle in terms of income, so middle income um, people can't find homes, whether it's um, their first home and maybe it's a, a condo or a townhouse or a duplex um, or, you know, missing middle, meaning that type of housing that we're able to build affordable housing that if you're making under 80% of the area median income, you can get into this subsidized housing, um, but then you can't get out because there's nowhere to go from there. So what we're trying to do now is say, how do we how do we modernize Act 250 to become a tool for really promoting and incentivizing growth where we want it, um, and then making sure that those areas that are important to conserve that have our most precious natural resources um, are being conserved. But um, right now it's not working that way. It's actually um, leading to rural sprawl where people are trying to avoid it by building nine units here and nine units there. Um, and, you know, that's that's not going to help us reach our goals. I've had a, a few guests in the last month, uh, Moreau, 
Weinberger from Burlington and uh, Senator Chittenden last week, uh, and they echo what you're saying, that um, what I heard from them was there was redundancy in the process. It was almost you had to go through a local permitting process, and then you had to go to Act 250, and it it's costly. And so uh, we've been hearing this for a long time, Megan, you know. Is is there going to be a shift? Do you, is there some light here? Uh, you know, I feel like there is. There are a lot of people trying to row in the same direction on this. Um, you know, we've been part of a steering committee for the Act 250 study that's happening. We're part of an advisory committee for a designation program study that's happening. There are two other groups that are meeting about this. Um, and so there's a lot of people at the table talking about how we change these these systems. Um, so it feels like we're moving in a really good direction leading into this session to make progress on how we can do development in a smart way um, that still will uh, meet our goals of, of protecting natural resources, but also really think about, you know, how we make Vermont um, opportunity available to all communities that want to have housing opportunities, that want to have commercial opportunities, um, and really um, not stand in the way. Can there be, can both sides win on this? I mean, that's sort of what we hope, right? I think they can, you know, and, and, um, we're having discussions with organizations like the Vermont Natural Resource Council. Um, when I say everyone's at the table, I do mean everyone's there because we look at, um, what happens if you're not, if you're not incentivizing, um, development in those areas where, um, it's most, um, well suited that it forces people to go out and develop in Greenlands. It's also more expensive to develop when you're talking about a new housing project in downtown Waterbury versus in a greenfield. There's, you know, sometimes you've got to deal with um, brownfield remediation and demolition and redevelopment costs. Um, we really need to think about how are we going to incentivize this type of growth that we want um, in order to have those great rural landscapes um, and and great communities. We're talking right now with Meg Sullivan. Uh, she is Vermont Chamber of Commerce, Vice President of Government Affairs. She's been around the block a few times, and uh, she's our our business advocate down in Montpelier. Uh, we do have a, a caller on the line, uh, Meg from Middlebury. Good morning, Meg. Good morning, Brad. Um, Meg, I just wanted to mention something um, as food for thought and also new data that been revealed about women's business ownership in the state. Um, no one's ever aggregated that data by gender, so we didn't know how many women business owners there are versus male business owners. And given historical bias against women getting capital and, and just that has changed in the last 30 years, but it did leave an impact. And my point here is that we have a website, thiswayupvt.com, that women business owners have been taking a survey, and you can see the results um, right there. It's aggregated in real time. And we have 3,288 women business owners that have told us about their business, what they do, how they've gotten, how they built their business, whether they've gotten loans or uh, borrowed money. And it's just, it's, 
and it's a really clear example of how people have to live in a rural economy and um, if they want to make some kind of income and can't fit into a conventional job. Um, so I'm interested if you have any immediate thoughts about that, and I just wanted to direct you and listeners to learn a little bit about these women business owners, and many of whom are probably not members of the chamber because they probably, you know, can't afford it or don't have the time. So it's it's an interesting subculture that has been invisible up until now. That's wonderful, Meg. Thanks for the call and for the data. It's it's very interesting. Uh, Megan? Yeah, well, I will take this opportunity to thank um, Meg for her 10 years of work for the Vermont Women's Fund. Um, she's done an incredible job there. I know she's leaving at the end of the year. I was actually at her annual celebration on Friday with seven Vermont Chamber members. Um, we went as a group, and they are all women business owners who are important part of the, the Vermont Chamber community. I will say for our membership, you know, we're going to meet people where they are. Um, it's important to us that we represent everybody, that we represent all businesses, and really take the opportunity to bring those voices in. Um, I'm on the Board of Advisors for the Center for Women and Enterprise in Vermont, um, which gives me a really, I think, important insight into women entrepreneurs um, who are facing um, some incredible opportunities with the experience that they have, um, the fortitude that they have, the determination, um, who have seen adversity through their lives, um, and who are still facing some of these structural barriers that, you know, as a state and as a nation, um, we're continuing to face to understand, you know, what are the, the, um, institutionalized um, barriers that have been put in place and how can we deconstruct those to ensure that anybody who wants to operate a business has the opportunity to do so um, and how do we help them succeed. So, you know, again, um, I, I think it's great what the Vermont Women's Fund has done to understand what is the data, how many women-owned businesses are there, um, and I think it's an important part of the conversation. So thanks to Meg for the work that they're doing and happy to, to work together. Yeah, great call, Meg. Thank you for that. Uh, so the, the Vermont Chamber, you, you've got some big issues that you're, you're working on. Workforce, of course, it's been raised on the call, on the show today. Housing, affordability in Vermont. They're big issues. You're down in Montpelier when the session starts. You're in day in, day out. Um, what, what are our listeners? What can they do? How do they affect change on the issues that are important to their, their friends and neighbor businesses? You know, I think we know that there's a million things pulling the attention from business owners, um, every day. Um, but it's important to stay engaged. You know, we put out some information every week about what's happening. Um, and we're also available to talk about what, you know, what is your experience? Where are those pain points? Um, I think a lot of our legislators are really open to understanding um, what it is that communities are facing, that business owners are facing, um, but they really need to be informed. If they've never owned a business before, if they've never been in those shoes, um, they don't necessarily understand what it is um, that can be challenging. Um, and I think as business owners, you have uh, – 
a responsibility. You're sort of setting a plan. How am I going to get there? I can't have everything at once. Um, I can't spend my way into prosperity. Um, you have to make choices. And I think that's what we're asking the legislature to do, especially this session is saying, you know, we've raised taxes in different ways. Let's take the opportunity to see how are these programs that we're invested in working before we spend more. How are things working? Are there opportunities to improve without spending more money? And certainly when we're talking about Act 250, that's one of those ways of let's make regulation that works better for Vermont and not just spend more money. Um, we have to allow for good investment in the future. So, you know, with all the hurdles that the business community has faced and that, that working Vermonters has faced, we're, we're saying let's take a pause um, examine how how the programs were invested in work um, and make progress without increasing the financial burden of being a Vermonter. So a bit of a timeout we'd advocate for. Yeah, let's take a breath um, and do the hard work of really looking at how things are going. How is this working? Are there ways we can make improvements? Um, you know, that's something we talked about during the session last year um, when we were looking at um, investments in child care is there's proposals about, you know, how do we make better use of our, our public school facilities that have um, the opportunity to host more childcare programming, um, that that's looked like it could be an affordable path, um, that would provide availability, um, affordability and dependability. Um, and so we're going to say, let's continue to look at that. That wasn't a path that was pursued, um, in this last legislative session, but there's a study happening. So we're going to continue to say as we make progress on issues like that, um, let's look at ways to, to be really efficient and smart about it. And is there political, um, we only have two minutes, but is there political accountability to legislators? Do they, you know, do you think elections, uh, are impacted by this, all of this progress or not? You know, I think it, um, it is a commitment to, to run for the legislature and it's important. And I think when we see, um, more people that are engaged, it leads to better outcomes for our democracy. So, you know, we would certainly love to see more engagement um, in the political process to say, let's, you know, bring, have these opportunities. I think campaigns are those opportunities to have local conversations about how things are going. Um, so, you know, I think that's something that as a community we're always striving for is how do we increase participation? I remember uh, my old friend, Governor Salmon, said that at the end of the day, the Democrats and the Republicans, um, even if they disagreed with each other all during the day, they'd come to some consensus about the greater good. Can we put that out there as a hope? Absolutely. I think that's, you know, the a real benefit to our state government is that we're we're small. Everyone's in committee rooms working together. Um, and so there's always hope for for improvement and um, and getting things done the Vermont way. Been talking with Megan Sullivan, Vermont Chamber of Commerce, Vice President of Government Affairs. Uh, we'll have you back, Megan. We want to we want to keep uh, looking at this, and and we hope for progress. And we thank you for all the work you do, and for the Vermont Chamber, a great organization. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great morning. Great, thank you. We'll be back uh, right after this. Coming up with uh, my next guest, Greg Overactor, 
The Hunt for Rihanna Maitland. 